I'm a dirty player here. It's looking at the inside and outside of a woman. People have a worse sense of humor when they're sleep deprived. I'm Richard Gerhart. I'm Elizabeth Gerhart. You've just heard some snippets from our show. It was a great one. Stay tuned for the rest. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, founder of Gearhart Law, an intellectual property law firm specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not an attorney, but I work at Gearhart Law doing the marketing and I have my own startup. You certainly do. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the road to entrepreneurship, where we talk with entrepreneurs, small businesses, and discuss the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We have Roy Osing, founder of Brilliance for Business and author of Be Different or Be Dead. I love that title. I can hardly wait to talk to Roy. <laughs> and then we have Beverly Price with Nastava Jewelry. She also has her own podcast, Her Self-Expression. Very interesting. And then we have Daniel Gartenberg. He's a returnee on the show. A repeat offender. <laughs> Defender, he's going to help us all sleep a little better. I think we all need that. <laughs> Sounds great. But before we get to our distinguished guests, we do have IP in the news, which is, of course, always one of my favorite things. Well, this is a patent application. It's not an issued patent, so it still has to make its way through the patent office. But it's General Motors. So if I'm the first one in the car, I get to set the climate based on the clothes I'm wearing. What? <laughs> No, this pet, let me explain. This patent automatically senses the layers of clothing that you have on your body and then adjusts the temperature accordingly. I mean, I thought they already kind of solved that problem with independent air conditioners and independent heaters for each seat. A lot of cars have that, right? So why would you need this? I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So I'd like to ask my guests what you think about this. It's time for Richard's Roundtable. Welcome to the show, Roy. Great to have you with us. What do you think about this idea from General Motors? I have a, an expression for gee whiz ideas like this. It's like almost like solutions looking for a problem. And it's not clear to me that I understand the problem or whether the problem is even relevant. I mean, one of the biggest things we need to do is figure out what people care about. So my question is, do people care about that? If they care about it, if it's a big caring, if it's a craving, if it's the desire, then maybe it's got some legs. But on the surface, yeah, I'm not a fan. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I didn't really put it into words the same way you did. But then there are inventions that we didn't think we needed. Like, for example, <laughs> heated seats. I would have never thought that I would need heated seats, but now that I have them in my car, they're essential. It's sort of a chicken and the egg type of problem. It could be. It could be. Initial impressions. I mean, for me, I'd be looking for something that's a little more specific to what people actually care about in vehicles. And if you show me the evidence that shows that 85% of the people really do care about that sort of sensitivity in terms of their car, then I stand corrected. But on the surface, I wouldn't buy it. Well, the other interesting thing about the patent, it's all hooked up to the cloud. So they're anticipating anticipating that they're going to have these sensors in your house. And so the car is going to know what you're wearing even before you get to it. <laughs> and, and then it'll be a self-driving car. So I, I, I'm decide. assuming that they think we're all infants, right? We can't even decide how to adjust the temperature in our car. Interesting. Those are my thoughts. Daniel? I mean, as a cognitive psychologist, one of the things that we studied was over-automation. And this <laughs> strikes me as, you know, all of a sudden the car is changing temperature. You didn't mean for it to be doing that. I mean, I wrestle with my theory all the time. I'm so sorry. I just said that it might get activated right now, <laughs> but, but, but that's just an example of what can happen here. That being said, playing devil's advocate, Elon Musk put a computer in a car. I think it's ridiculous. I mean, who knows what this next generation is going to want when it comes to being spoon fed exactly the right temperature. I didn't have that growing up. What As a these? patent attorney, I should be welcome every innovation on earth. But anyway, thank you for your comments, Beverly. Well, I just want to know how long the training program is to learn how to drive your car with all these gadgets. <laughs> what's the size of the new car manual that barely fits in the glove compartment now because it has so many pages? You know what? They are already really thick, even for the old cars. So I don't know. Like, what's the IP takeaway with all of this? Well, I think, you know, if you have a good innovation idea and you have the money, protect it. And 
maybe you can develop the market yourself. Like Daniel was saying. I mean, you have to be a big company to do that with a lot of market pull, but you really never know what direction technology is going to go in. And this turn out, could turn out to be a great thing. I don't know. And um, you don't know what the newer generations are really going to expect. Like, I think that's part of it too. I agree. I mean, I our agree. daughter doesn't have a TV. She watches right. everything on her computer. Like we live with our TV. Exactly. All good points. Leading into our next guest, Roy Osing, who's the founder of Brilliance for Business, author of Be Different or Be Dead, which sounds dramatic, Roy. What prompted you to title a book that way? It's kind of like a theme of seven book series that I've just completed my latest in called Audacious Ways. I took a startup to a billion in sales. And the basic idea behind it is differentiation. My conclusion is notwithstanding the fact that we have more and more competitors these days and customers are more powerful and fickle, it's my view that businesses overall, and this is a generalization, are not getting any better at declaring their uniqueness in the marketplace. Okay, they're relying on what I call claptrap expressions like better, best, leader, number one, et cetera, which quite frankly don't mean anything, okay? So the be different or be dead mantra is all about if you're not different in a meaningful, compelling way to the people you care about, you're in deep doo-doo. And of course, death is the ultimate extreme and the consequence of not doing a good job of that. And companies die. And my observation has been that a lot of them die because they're simply not capable of differentiating themselves. So that's the nature of the work, trying to help people understand how to do that, how to get beyond that. And there's some cool things that I learned in my career that will help. That's really important. So when you say differentiation, can you explain that in a little bit more detail? So differentiation is what makes you special. Why should I buy from you as opposed to your competitor? Give me some compelling reason. And it's not because you claim you're the best in customer service, because quite frankly, that's subjective. That's your view of yourself. What I had to do is figure out how to be really, really granular in defining what makes me special. And I came up with this concept that I created called the only statement. So it doesn't say that we're best or we're better. It says we are the only ones who... Now, only is powerful because it's binary. It either exists or it doesn't. And you can see it, you can measure it. And so you get the kids off the street with the aspirational stuff and you bring on the only. And it's turned out to be a very, very powerful device and tool for stating what makes you special. Look, at there's too many people trying to save the planet and using that as a competitive claim. Well, it's nonsense. No, but I don't buy from a company because they claim they can save the planet. I understand the aspirational intent right? And that's important. But you can't put that out to say, you should buy from me because, and go up into the clouds and describe that. And so I use terms like businesses are mediocre when they do things like that. And I'm doing that on purpose to kind of push people a little bit, nudge them to that extreme right of the distribution curve where uniqueness is definable. Because today it's cloudy in my view. Can you give us a few examples of companies that have adopted only statements and what those only statements sound like? Here's one that I use for myself. By the way, this can be used as a personal brand and it can be used as a corporate brand. All right. On a personal basis, I'm saying that Roy is the only author, entrepreneur, and executive leader who delivers practical, improven, audacious, unheard of ways, because nobody else is talking about that, to build high-performing businesses and successful careers. Okay, so that clearly identifies what I, and so people will say, well, well, give me your proof points, Roy. Okay, here are the crazy things I did, blah, 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 and we can talk about those if you want, that led to a billion in sales and annual revenue. That's the ultimate proof point. Okay, it's not a feel-good thing. It actually delivers bottom line performance because my view is it's no sense talking about cool ideas unless you can relate those to bottom line performance. And that was the challenge I had. So I had to come up with things like cut the crap, killing dumb rules, leadership by line of sight, hiring for goosebumps, crazy notions that people thought were ridiculous, except for one thing. Collectively, they drove to a billion. So I say, what's your point? Those are ideas that are practical and they lit fires in people and they drove performance. And isn't that what leadership is all about? Absolutely. It is. And I do agree with you. It's hard to stand out from the noise right now. What frustrates me, and I'm trying to address some of this with my website that I'm developing, but even if I type in Roy Osing in Google, I'll get a bunch of different stuff that comes up before your site comes up, just because there's so much advertising and pay-per-click and premium placement and all this stuff. And so 
really, how do you stand out? I like the use of these words. These words have different meanings than what we normally hear in business, right? Like gasp worthy, create a distinctive, remarkable, unique, and gasp worthy position in the marketplace. <laughs> Nobody says that, right? I so, know. I know. That not that sad? That is audacious. I mean, Absolutely. So, so let's stay with that. Effective leadership isn't about what you know. It's about how you make people feel in terms of the journey that you think you need to be on. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to achieve diddly squat unless people decide to go with you. Okay, so my bent is always to go to the right side of the brain, go to the passionate, go to the emotional side of the brain. And that kind of degenerates down into the language you use. Gasworthy, we know what that means when we hear the word. It's like, oh my God, you know, we know what that means. And so creating a gasworthy business is all about figuring out what, what lights fires in people, okay, that gets you to the destination that you want to go to. It's not about promulgating theory because we don't need any more blue oceans, guys. We don't. We need solid people that could deliver results and execute brilliantly. And that's right. gas worthiness. Just to play devil's advocate here, though, if I'm a business owner and I start thinking about using the term gas worthy, I'm also concerned that I'm going to be turning a lot of people off because they don't know what that means. It's not part of the common lexicon. And so when I see that, I'm concerned I'm going to lose more business than I'm going to gain. Yeah. So you're raising the issue of context. Okay. And I'm not suggesting you everybody run out and say, hey, we're in the business of creating gas worthiness. I mean, what you need to do is take a step back and do what I call my strategic game planning process, which is really simple. Answer three questions. Boom, you have it. Okay. And within that context, decide on the appropriate language. For some people, it may not be gas worthy. For me, it was because that was the word that I chose to describe exactly the way I wanted people to feel when they did business with us. I wanted them to go away feeling incredibly right. feel good, right? Like right. nobody cares. Nobody cares about whether they're getting a gig, okay? Everybody sells a gig of internet speed. What differentiates organizations is how people feel when they get the gig. Now, if they don't get the gig, okay, that's another issue, right? But if, every, if you've got five people, five organizations delivering a gig worth of internet speed, what differentiates them? Not the technology, right? It's how they feel when they do business with that organization. And we're losing that, guys. And I love the guests. Okay, you guys have got it. I love your stuff. Stay with that. Stay with that. Play to the left. Play to the right side, because that'll get you loyalty and it'll get you referrals. If you get pedantic and just play to what you produce, you'll be a flogger like everybody else. And that's a tough road to hoe, unless you got economies of scale and scope, which few of us have. Brands should definitely be based on what you're unique at. And that journey for uniqueness never ends. Because if you think it's permanent, you're actually assuming that the world doesn't change around you. And of course, that's ridiculous. So treat it as a draft, get it in play, experience it, work with it, test it, and evolve it with yourself as you go through life. It will be a brand. And I guarantee you, it'll happen overnight and your competition will go, whoa, wow, that's pretty cool. Maybe we should copy it. And that's another reason why it's a draft, right? Right. So you took a major data and internet company from infancy to a billion in annual sales. So what do you think was your most effective strategy for making that happen? I understand it would probably be your differentiator, but <laughs> is there anything else? Yeah, well, so there's basically four pieces. I define these in retrospect, okay? Because at the time, yeah, I didn't have a grand plan articulated as the, the normal SWAT and all that kind of strategic planning would tell me. I just did stuff that made sense to people. So there's basically four planks. And, and one is this whole conversation we've just been having around being different, okay? Be different, be different. And it doesn't matter what you do in a compelling, relevant way to the target market that you have. So that's a whole piece of work in there. And the only statement is part of it. The second one is let's get the plan just about right and execute it better than anybody else. Because my belief is heading west is a valid strategic plan. Okay. And what we're going to do is we're going to execute and learn as we go and we'll figure out whether it's Vancouver or Seattle we end up in. Okay. But you have really no way of knowing 36 months prior whether that's your destination. It's just too many variables. The third piece is serving. How do you execute? You execute by serving people on the inside, right? Not commanding control. There's a whole piece of, some people call it leadership style of servant leadership. I don't, I don't think it's a style at all. It's a strategic act. And I call it leadership by serving around. And there's a whole piece in that. And the last piece is do it yourself. I believe in micromanaging. 
certain things that should never, ever, ever be delegated by a leader. And those are the things that relate to what? Executing your plan. Because at the end of the day, this body of work, this mantra of mine is all about how do I deliver amazing growth? The billion in sales, we had no idea what it was going to be. What we knew was it was amazing opportunity in the data and internet space. And we had to figure out a way how to uncover it. And so every year we set ridiculous goals. So we didn't know, and we just kept driving, driving, driving. But those four sort of principles, be different, execute, serve your people, and do it yourself as a leader, where you have to put your fingerprints, personal fingerprints on the organization. Those were the key elements that actually, I think in the end, explained why we got to where we got to. Roy Osing, who's the founder of Brilliance for Business, author of Be Different or Be Dead. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. And we'll be right back after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gerhardt Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at Gerhardt law.com at gearheart law we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs ideas and brands using patent trademark and copyright protection so if you have a new consumer product a new software application that you're planning to build or sell or a brand or company name that you want to protect contact the experts at gearheart law www.gearheartlaw.com don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business all of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearheart. And our special guest today, Roy Osing, founder of Brilliance for Business, author of Be Different or Be Dead. It now, sounds like a threat. Now I understand why I've lived so long. People, people tell me I'm different my whole life. But anyway. The um, secret to longevity. But one thing I think is important for any entrepreneur in business, you have a personal brand, whether you try to develop a personal brand or not. Like people look at you and they see you and they experience you and that's your brand, whatever you're projecting. So Roy, how do we build a remarkable personal brand? Cause that's really what we want, right? Yeah. And it's a challenge, but the interesting thing to me was I started out with this whole be different methodology and tool set in an organizational sense. And then I realized that it had just as much, if not more application on a personal basis, whether it be your career or whether it be your life. I mean, I'm still using this with my grandchildren, by the way, I'm a be different papa and boom, there's a whole story behind that. But in terms of the brand, what I find is people generally don't do the work in terms of what they want to be. Okay, and the what you want to be is kind of like a strategic question, right, which is about what's your strategy in your career, what's your strategy in your life, you have to do that first, and then build literally a personal only statement within that. And that's what you express. It's not what you feel that you are, it's what you have to be to satisfy your goals. And so that's the piece that tends not to be done because it's extremely difficult to do and it's excruciating and pain is a strategic concept behind that. I mean, you go through all this agonizing work to do it and you try it and try it and try it, but over time it will evolve and you just have to keep going at it. So who do you think has a really great personal brand? Lady Gaga. She did not build that. That was not accidental. That wasn't a function of her singing capability. Her singing no. capability is her core service, without which she doesn't have the capability to develop a brand. But she's done things with social media in terms of communications. She's done things in terms of loyalty creation that nobody's done. By the way, you're not old enough, or maybe you are. Anybody here remember the Grateful Dead? Of oh, course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So well, there's. I did other... age myself there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All those listeners who think I'm a spry 35 year old are now disappointed. But there's anyway, a... please continue. So I'm just saying there's another example of an amazing journey that a guy called Jerry Garcia took, mm -hmm. who is unfortunately no longer with us, but he's one of the lead guitar players. He came up with a statement about the Grateful Dead great business organization. It was, you don't want merely to be the best of the best. You want to be the only ones who do what you do. And I never discovered this until way after I was working with only, and I thought, Jerry, what a genius. 
Think of the brand that they had. They built stadiums to allow people to record their own music at a time when patents, right, and copyrights was going crazy. They said, hey, before social media, we need to figure out a way to share our stuff. And they did a remarkable thing. So I would say Gaga is amazing. The Grateful Dead, the most successful touring band in history, would be my second choice. What are the steps, though, to building the personal brand? It's called a career plan or a game plan, okay? That is very, very simple. It's literally creating the answers to three questions. One is how big do I want to be? That's a statement of growth, okay? In an organizational sense, it may be top-line revenue. In a personal sense, it may be a career target objective. That's how big. The second question is, who do you want to serve? And that's ask question, where am I going to get, in the case of an organization, the revenue? In the case of personal experience, who do I need to influence to get to the career goal that I want or the job that I want? And the third piece is, how am I going to compete and win? That's a statement of how am I going to beat the others that are out there coveting the same thing as me? And when you put those together, the answers to those three questions together, you basically have, in a personal sense, a game plan for your career or your life. The brand is the function of that. You don't start out building a brand, guys. You don't. You start out doing the work to figure out what you want to be when you grow up and who do you have to influence to get there. The brand exudes from that with good hard work. Yeah. So if an entrepreneur is struggling, should they hire a coach? Obviously they should read your book. Do you work with entrepreneurs to help them kind of try to define these things? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the first place is just familiarize yourself with the content. I mean, I've been writing about my stuff since 09. If you go to my website, be different or be dead.com. I mean, I've tried to put as much resource material in there to help people. And there's a ton of work on game planning, a ton of work. So hopefully that's helpful. But at the end of the day, I'm happy to connect with people. I mean, I have people sending me emails on their draft only statement, which, by the way, I want you to do because you use the word only. You're to email me your only and we'll have a conversation about it. We talk about that all the time. So I'm trying to knock these down one at a time. Right. But yeah, at the end of the day, if somebody wanted to do a, a workshop to create a strategic game plan, I do that in two days and they have something you can execute on the third. It's shrink wrapped. I know how to do this and no business, no business is not applicable. Every business is applicable to this process, which is the beauty of it. And I think it's super important to get some non-subjective outside counsel on what you're doing, because you may think you have the greatest things in sliced bread, like GM with their climate control and somebody else may go, meh. (laughs) (laughs) No, another set of eyes is always really, really important. And that's the other part that helped me in my career is I never relied on just myself. I always relied on people's advice. And I found mentors, though, very special mentors, not people that knew. Here's the difference, right? Roy's mentors didn't necessarily have 17 letters behind their name. What they had is they were MBAs, Masters in Business Achievement. That's what they were. They were people that got stuff done in the trenches with the politics and the dirtiness and the messiness of executing strategy. Those were my mentors. And so you need that help. And I'm one of those guys. I'm a dirty player here. I'm a (laughs) dirty player. We do want to play dirty. We have to take a break. When our next two presenters come back, tell them a little dirty secret they can use. (laughs) Roy Hosting, everybody, author of Be Different or Be Dead. Roy, where can people find you? Just go to my website, bedifferentorbedead.com. And there's resources there that I think they'll be useful. All my books are there. And you can reach out to me at gmail.com. be happy to connect with anybody who wants to talk about this stuff. Sounds great. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, eVine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. 
Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're on to Fireside. Elizabeth? Absolutely. So for those of you who don't know, I have a startup called Fireside Directory. It's a video directory of small businesses, and it's been evolving over the past couple of years while I've had it. It is the only... Roy, the only small business directory on video that hey. does what my directory does. And there's a whole lot to it that's kind of secret unless you sign up for it. And then you understand why it is such a great marketing tool. So I don't know if it's going to stay named Fireside because the trademark office is giving me a hard time on that. So I've been looking for other names and in searching for other names, you know, I've been doing marketing for a long time. Gearheart Law was easy because he had to name his law firm after himself. That was New Jersey regulation. But when it comes to naming your company, there are people that will help you do that. And I actually talked to somebody who bought a URL from someone that owned it because it was the perfect name for their company. So the first thing is to buy the URL as soon as you see it. Otherwise, a troll will buy it and sell it back to you. But maybe you can't get it, but maybe you can buy it from someone else. But it has to be easy to say, easy to spell, easy to remember. So be different or be dead. I love that. Everybody can spell those words. Everybody can remember those words and say those words, right? And so for me, I mean, I could try to do an acronym maybe, but I've kind of been struggling with what the name should be if I can't use Fireside Directory. I am part of a peer advisory board. So we get together once a month and we talk about our companies and we talk about the struggles we're going through and we give each other advice. So Roy, do you have any advice you can give me right now? Anything dirty I can use? (laughs) No, I don't have the solution. My normal response to this is I don't have a clue. And the reason for when I say that is like, I don't understand the context of names, nomenclature, branding has got to be built within a strategic context. That's my whole point. We need to do the work. What's the strategy, the actual name and all of those tactics will flow from that. I'm not a fan of leading with tactics because you can satisfy anything if you're tactically driven. I'm not saying you are, okay? But I'm just saying I need to be really careful. People always ask me, what do you think about my social media campaign? And I say, I don't have an opinion. If you want me to comment on the discipline of posting in SEO, that's one thing. But if you're looking for effectiveness, I want to understand what your strategy is. Then I'll give you a comment. And so I would just say, take a step back, take a deep breath, sort that piece out, and then start looking for options that makes sense in that context. Does that make sense for you? Absolutely. So I had asked Kenya Gibson, who's normally here for help with this because she's a creative genius. We're actually meeting on Friday and she said, list out everything that your company's about and that it does and everything that makes it special and just everything you can think of. And then we'll go from there. So the only thing I would say is this isn't about throwing a thousand things at the wall and trying to make sense of those things. That's not what this is about. It's about the only work. It's about the one thing, that one silver bullet that makes you special and stand out. Use that and milk it, milk it in everything, what you say The website, I mean, everything should be driven from that. I'm not a fan of to-do lists. I'm not a fan of multitasking. I'm not a fan of multitudes because quite frankly, it's like mass marketing. It doesn't exist. Mass markets don't exist because they presume everybody's the same and we all know they're not. So that's what I would say. Just take a step back. All right. And figure that out. Send me an email. I can help. Thanks, Roy. I would like to introduce Beverly Price now with Nastava Jewelry and also her podcast, Her Self-Expression. So Beverly, we are really interested to hear your story and what you're doing with your jewelry and your podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it, Elizabeth. Give us a little couple minutes on what you're doing. Well, I am the only jewelry designer that (laughs) creates bold statement jewelry pieces in one of a kind handcrafted designs and also custom work. So you can go to a lot of jewelry designers, but you'll never find any design like mine. It's big, it's bold. It makes a statement that helps women on their journey from self-expression to beauty. My podcast, Her Self-Expression, became a natural extension of that, where it's dedicated to aiding women on their journey from self-expression to self-empowerment. And what's unique about it is it's looking at the inside and outside of a woman. Many podcasts look at different elements of a woman's development, but I combine both the inside and outside development for a unique approach to holistic empowerment. That sounds great. So what is that journey about? In my case, a very personal journey. I started as a corporate executive that everybody thought was the most talented together woman in the world, but deep down inside, I lacked self-esteem, 
lack self-confidence and was afraid that people would find out that I was weak. And so what I had to do was go on a journey to get to know myself and develop myself on the inside Mm -hmm. so that my self-esteem rose, so that my self-empowerment rose, so that I could get to the place that I could be strong and grow. At the same time, I needed to work on my outside because if I look better on the outside, it helps me feel better on the inside. In addition to helping my personal brand, people get to know me for who I am. So I'm going to work inside out on things like confidence and self-esteem and recovering from trauma and things like that. And I'm going to work on the outside with things like body image and fashion and makeup and things like that. So that both pieces come together to fill that hole. You know, if you think about COVID and you think about what happened during COVID, how many people actually dressed up during COVID? Nobody. Everybody was in their sweatpants all day. And for a woman that will then dress up, put on some makeup, you just feel better. So Uh that's the outside. For a woman that knows she lacks esteem, does the work with a coach, she will feel better. And that creates empowerment. The original steps in my journey were growing up in a home that gave me everything material that I wanted, but didn't do anything to instill self-esteem or self-confidence. It was one of those environments where you're never quite good enough. You didn't get the best A plus on the grade and whatever. So when you start with that foundation and you grow into adulthood, you start to have a very weak foundation, if you will, to yourself. And so some of the things I had to do were take a look at myself and get really honest about where I was. Instead of hiding myself from the world, afraid that I would be found out that I was a woman who lacked self-esteem, I had to face my fear, whether it was through working with a coach, whether it was therapy, whether it was journaling. It's sort of like on the one hand, you had tangible career successes that you could point to. And for myself, I mean, I faced a lot of the same challenges that you have in terms of self-esteem and confidence, but it does seem for me that actually having something work out, getting it right in the workplace increased my confidence, at least there. Did you get any benefit from those successes? Did that help your self-esteem? Well, I think what happened for me was I was incredibly successful professionally, but I was not successful at all personally. I could have done a better job at being a mother. And I certainly didn't have a lot of success in romantic relationships. And so I became fragmented, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then there's the point in time where when the job was no longer there, that that facade began to crack and I could feel the self-esteem and lack of self-confidence in every area of my life. So you pull away the thing that's going well and everything else crumbles. That is really profound. And I I do think all of us need to do inner work on ourselves, no matter who we are. I wanted to ask Roy, any comments or questions? I think the description of the story is amazing. I love the language and it's so intimate and it's so honest. You had a strategy You had a very specific strategy that you were unfolding through your life to exploit the things that you weren't happy with and take advantage of the things that that you wanted to and good for you. And I think that whatever enterprise or anything that you decide to do, you're going to crush it. Good for you. And I love your website, by the way. And you used only (laughs) statement. I want to see your only too. I want to see that because I looked at your website and that was your only, but you didn't say it. Okay, need to say. I will. It's interesting because it's almost like you're implicitly recommending sort of a diversified approach to life and, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that you have a plan B for everything. So. Right. But you've been through it yourself and now you're coaching other women and trying to help them find this balance of really what defines you and what's the most important to you. Right. Because I mean, if you lose your job and that's all you are, and the only way you define yourself, you have nothing left. And I think that a lot of people get stuck in that. So yeah. what do you tell the women that come to you? Well, I first get them to define who they are. Most women, and there's some studies that are just horrific. For example, a study done by Dove Soap concluded that less than 3% of women consider themselves beautiful. 
And we know beauty isn't just the outside, but that's less than 3% of women. And 60% of women wish they respected themselves more. So the first part of what I do is get to know that woman and help that woman get to know herself to see if she's hiding and to see what she wants to be. So you start with the end in mind. If this is what I want to be, what are all the steps I need to take to get there? Do I not like myself? Do I need to reinvent myself? Are there pieces of my life that are causing me harm and holding me back? What changes need to be made to get me there, I think are the most important things to work with a woman on. But until you get to the core of what a woman thinks about herself and how she feels, which is the foundation of the work, you're never going to get anywhere with any realistic permanent change. Right. Do you think that applies to men as well? Well, I'm not a man, so I couldn't (laughs) say that. I would default to Richard on that, but I just seem to notice that at least more women are open about their self-esteem problems than I think men are. Yeah. What do you think, Richard? uh, That's an interesting question. I don't know if I have a great answer because I'm not every man. So you are the only one like you. I'm the only (laughs) man like me. That's the truth. (laughs) So I faced some childhood trauma when I was very young. I was adopted. And so I got separated from my mother at an early age. So I kind of struggled with that for a while. And it's not a common experience. So I kind of hesitate to generalize. I think all people are insecure to some degree. And I think all people cover their traumas to some degree. And I think that's the same, whether you're a man or a woman, I think men are probably more reluctant to admit it because if you're out in the world, you want to be confident. You want people to have confidence in what you're doing and what you're saying. So we have time for probably one more question for Beverly. So I'd like to give that to Roy. Roy, do you have another question or a comment? Yeah. I think the one thing that you've really hit on is this whole, and I'll tag it feelings. Because I think the feeling piece in organizations and business generally is missing. I mean, certainly in terms of my experience, men aren't very good at that, quite frankly. And so why would I put a man in a customer service manager's position dealing with experiences that I'm trying to create to be memorable uh, with customers? And so that bent and what I had to do is revector the whole recruitment strategy in the business to get people that actually cared about humans. Because there's a lot of people that don't care about humans and they should be in the back taking inventory. And yet we put them in front of our frontline people. So you're hitting on a subject that I think is exceedingly important. And you're you're expressing it in a way that's very, very personal. But if you expand that to business generally, we need to be more concerned about how people feel about what they do. Because that's what people buy on. Okay, this is a strategic thing. It's not just a cool idea, right? And so thank you for raising that. That will be extremely important. There's a whole lot of other things that people talk about leaders. How about being nice? How about having feelings and empathy and so forth? So thank you for that. That was excellent. That was a great insight, Roy. So unfortunately, we've come to the end of Beverly's segment. I found this extremely important and interesting, but how can people find you, Beverly? They can find me at www.her-self-expression.com or my jewelry line is nastavajewelry.com. You can find me on social media. The podcast is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can find me on YouTube. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you. So now we are on to Daniel Gartenberg. This is near and dear to my heart too. How do I finally get a good night's sleep? So <laughs> Daniel's trying to help us all well, with that. So. After you solved your emotional issues and figured out your only statement, you deserve some rest. And so <laughs> Daniel he, was sleep space. Yeah, he's going to help us get a good night's rest after so, we solve these issues. So, so. I'll yeah, try my best. Your, <laughs> give us your two minutes. Tell us what you're doing. Yeah. So I am the only sleep scientist <laughs> who is going beyond sleep tracking and actually showing that we can improve every human sleep on the planet. And so that's been my goal for 15 years. And we've got some large grant awards from the NIH and the National Science Foundation to actually prove that we can use sound, light, vibration, and eventually temperature to help every human sleep deeper. 
Well, I definitely want to sleep deeper. I think that's why everybody's so grumpy all the time because nobody gets a good night's sleep, right? No, there's a lot of evidence and we can all personally relate to that. There's some good science showing that people have a worse sense of humor when they're sleep deprived. Oh, that sleep explains is essential. it. Okay, now I understand. <laughs> what had I been doing wrong all so, these years? <laughs> so you have a smart bed platform. Can you tell us about that? Yes, so we recently rebranded as Sleep Space and and it's a piece of software. And I also invented this nifty little piece of hardware that turns your phone into a smart bed. So we'll integrate with any wearable. I'm wearing a couple of my wearables right now or a ring. This other one I'm testing out, a circular Apple Watch. So they're rings on your Whoop. fingers, right? Like they Yeah, these like are rings. trackers actually. And I've tried every gizmo. So we'll integrate with yeah. most of those. And that gives us really good measures of your sleep. It's essential for sleep staging basically to get cardiovascular data, but a lot of sleep coaches and cognitive behavioral therapists really care about when you're in bed asleep is sort of the most important variable. So we invented this mechanism that slides under your bed and it sort of puts your phone in its place at night. It can block out EMFs and stuff too. And we pick up on the micro motions through the mattress to measure your sleep. So the phone is actually the sensor. And the important thing about this is it allows us to more directly deliver audio stimulation throughout the night that's designed to enhance your sleep. So one of the algorithms that we have currently implemented is we'll actually measure your sleep stage every 30 seconds and in real time play this pink noise dynamic mask that blocks out noise pollution and works effectively by ramping up the sound slightly when you're asleep in order to more effectively block out that noise pollution. And we're constantly exploring collaborations with how to manipulate temperature, because we have all these algorithms done, figuring out your sleep in real time, and I have an IP portfolio around this, and then doing something based on detecting which stage of sleep you're on. And it could be relevant to things like tinnitus, um, get it, we have our deep sleep stimulation thing, even things like PTSD to sort of enhance people's dreams in this crazy sort of inception. Because, you know, I see our current problem as dealing with so much information that is blasted at us at all times. Mm -hmm. And sleep is how we actually make sense of the information that we get throughout the day. It's how we process our realities. And what's going to need to happen soon is we're going to have to take more control around processing our realities when companies like GM are making all these automations to create our realities for us, basically. So that's a future that I plan to be a part of. Well, I have very vivid dreams. Like I definitely live out a lot of stuff in my dreams. I would like to kind of turn that off sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Can you invent something to do that? So yeah, I mean, this is a little further down the line, but one of the main treatments if someone has vivid dreams is you do something called dream completion. So if you have maybe a traumatic dream that you experience all the time, which is often what happens when you have PTSD, one of the most effective treatments is you go to a therapist who's trained in this and they will come up with a creative change in the typical outcome of your dream. And you'll focus on that better, happier version of your dream. And our technology can basically implant that happier interpretation of your dream through the science of playing sounds at certain times. And this is what our sleep valence wow. patent is. And so we would replay the sounds that you were exposing yourself to in your therapy session while you're having the dream to prime the different interpretation of your dream. I wear my Garmin watch and it has an app associated with it. And every morning, one of the first things I do is I look at my phone because the app records my sleep and my sleep patterns. And I'm just kind of wondering how accurate this is. You're really touching on a lot of important things that we're wrestling with in sleep science right now. There's actually a, first off, sleep space or software will integrate with Garmin on iPhone, not Android for some reason, but we'll pull in your Garmin data and give our own AI analysis of your sleep um, mm -hmm. if you were to download the sleep space app. And if you go to sleepspace.com slash union, you can get a 30 day free trial for that just to plug that for a second. To answer your question, we're really wrestling this in sleep science. And there's a new term for sort of what you're dealing with, which is orthosomnia, 
which is the, basically that the information from these devices can be opaque, unclear. We don't know what they mean. Right. And it actually gives you more anxiety. And this is particularly <laughs> problematic. It doesn't sound like you're facing a real sleep problem. I want to give Roy a chance to comment or ask a question. So Roy, what do you think? So I think it's an amazing idea. The only question I have is, can you correlate the number of glasses of wine you can have before you go to sleep to make sure that you have an optimum sleep pattern? <laughs> well, we all know. Me too. I want to know that too. <laughs> uh, just so kidding. Alcohol uh, will destroy your sleep. You do much more than one, you're, you're going to probably pay for it. But that's a big part of the future of medicine that I see, which is this personal journey around improving your sleep. And since we integrate with all of the devices, we can provide that personalization to be able to figure out, change this thing, get the blackout blinds, get the happy lamp, walk outside. And, you know, there's all the typical things. And usually there's one or two things that are very specific to one person that are the things that would most affect their sleep quality. And so if we're the tracker, we can help surface those things for people. Daniel, do you think that you'll be able to get the insurance companies to cover this eventually? That's the plan. That's I'm still great. trying to thread that needle. Yeah. That's great. I, if insurance pays for it, it's even better. How can people find you, Daniel? Dr. Snooze, Dr. Period Snooze is my Instagram handle and sleepspace.com. You have all the information about me there. We'll be back with more Passage to Profit right after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. And our special guest, Roy Osing, who has really zeroed in on some incredible marketing techniques and just life techniques too. And we've also had a couple of incredible presenters. Now we are to the kind of fun part of the show where we ask the pointed question. I had fun before. Well, I did too, but we asked the pointed question and I came up with this question. I think it's a good one. So I'm going to start with Beverly. Beverly, what annoying quality of yours has actually helped you in business? Well, I would say that I'm obsessively creative and it started when I was a child and had to continually rearrange the furniture in my bedroom. (laughs) And it has continued as an adult to having to rearrange furniture, but also to start companies, to come up with new marketing strategies and to come up with new designs for my jewelry business. But I can't stand still. And I am totally obsessed with creating new and different things. So do you have a lot of rooms in your house? Do you have like different places to rearrange all the time or? (laughs) Yes. uh, And then on top of it, we just moved to the beach and I sold all my old furniture and bought new furniture so I could rearrange all over again. (laughs) That's good. Okay. Roy, what's your one annoying quality that's actually helped you in business? This is a very sensitive one. Uh, I have my whole life been a pusher. And I'm impatient. Uh, I'm a kind of person that I don't want to talk about it. I want to get on with it and do it. And that really worked for me. I, I'm pretty sure I got it from my mom in thinking about it. I, I got that piece from her. My dad was kind of laid back. And so I definitely got that from my mom. It's had two effects. First of all, in terms of my business career and so forth, it's turned out, I think, to be one of the reasons I was able to do what I have to do. It's an interesting, though, when you do the flip on that with my personal life, I'm married to a dreamer. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I love, I mean, she, dreams about stuff. And of course, what I do with that immediately, I take the dream 
and I want to execute. Right. Well, sometimes it doesn't work out that well. But overall, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a good annoyance. Yeah. Okay, Daniel, you're on the hot seat. I guess my problem can be I can overly micromanage people because I only trust myself to solve the problem. So it's almost a trust issue. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to that. So I'm always struggling with trusting people to do what I want. But I think you need a certain amount of aggressiveness to solve problems to be successful. And honestly, just a lot of people lack that. I think it's a skill that is really pretty rare. This is coming from someone that got a PhD in cognitive psychology and did a lot of cognitive assessments on people. That's probably why I don't trust people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel like this is an interview question for a job, you know, sort of like, what is one of your weaknesses? Well, I, I work too much, you know? So which one of your annoying qualities? <laughs> I should let you describe those. I would say one of my things is just tenacity. It's like if I'm working on a legal argument, I spend enormous amount of time thinking through all the different possibilities, thinking what either opposing counsel or the patent office, whoever I'm sort of up against, all of their possible defenses. On the one hand, it's good because I try to have counter arguments, every argument they might make, but it takes a long time. And sometimes I can get bogged down in these things. And my colleagues will just say, Richard, come on, we got to get moving. You know, because it's not it, just that he walks around the house talking to people I've never met. I'm having my own <laughs> private staff meetings. Is what that says I'm not, I'm not talking to myself. I'm like, who are you I'm, talking to? I'm He's having, like opposing counsel. Those are virtual that's staff annoying. meetings. That, no, that's annoying to hear you talking well, okay, to. Okay, so we agree on something. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so I know what my most annoying thing is. In fact, we had somebody on the show a while ago who actually confirmed it for me. I ask way too many questions. And she said, like, she was talking about different types. And she's like, yeah, Elizabeth, you came out as the inquisitor. And she's like, those people drive me crazy in a meeting. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah. since it's all out on the table now, I have to agree with you because it's like I get off a phone conversation. She says, did you ask him this? Did you ask him that? Did you ask him this? Did you <laughs> ask him that? The business I created is all about asking people questions and digging in. And many times when I interview small business owners about their businesses for Fireside Directory, I managed to pull stuff out of them that they didn't even know they knew. And you're interviewing people now. So you're doing what you love. I'm doing what I love. So yes, asking questions can drive other people crazy, but it helps me a lot in business. I got to speak in favor of Elizabeth. Okay. Everybody learns differently. I'm also married to one of those people where the rest of us kind of like, oh, well, we are, we're at the 50,000 foot level and that's all we want to know. Well, she can go deep. So can you. So stay with that. And by the way, the other thing is right in business, you've got it. How on earth can you figure out what somebody craves? If you don't ask them questions and learn that. So good for you. I'm 100% behind you. Don't you ever be normal. Oh, no, I've never been accused of that. <laughs> no, I think Thank you, a very low likelihood of that happening. All right. So, so we need to wrap things up. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to go through everybody's website one more time. So our guest is Roy Osing, founder of Brilliance for Business, author of Be Different or Be Dead. And you can find him at www.bedifferentorbedead.com. Definitely check it out because it really provides a different perspective on business and marketing, and it's one worth having. And then we had Beverly Price, who presented a couple of things. Her Nastava Jewelry, N-A-S-T-A-V-A Jewelry.com is where you can find that. She also has a podcast, Her Self-Expression, and you can find it at her-self-expression.com. And then we had our PhD sleep specialist, Daniel Gartenberg with sleepspace.com. And he will and never put you to sleep. <laughs> no, it's his goal is to put you to sleep. But he is using incredible brand new technology to help people sleep better, really pushing the envelope on this. It's like science fiction type of stuff. So sleepspace.com. I think it was a great show. I really had a great time and I really enjoyed our guests. We need to sign off for this week, but we will return to the station next week with another episode of Passage to Profit. Before we go, I'd like to thank the Passage to Profit team, Noah Fleischman, our producer, Alicia Morrissey, our program director, and Mark Wilson, our syndication manager. Our podcast can be found tomorrow anywhere you find your podcast. So just look for the Passage to Profit show and don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, while the information provided during this program is believed to be correct, never take a legal step without checking with your legal professional. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next week. 